extension 0622-2020. That was easy. This is the working class observer. Poor dumb rebel scum. Wacko weirdo Jedi hero. The class warfare report. Words stacked upon words. Agglomating sentences. So today we open up with easy enough. Got a couple of articles. A couple of things to touch upon. A couple of things to just brief on. As the world slowly... Yo, crumbles in from the uh, mounting issues that it seems to never uh, cease building upon. Ever. We will not quit creating problems, for then we would never have any problems left to solve. Yes, sir. So last night I had heard that there had been yet another shooting inside Chaz Chop. Seattle's most famous autonomous zone. Um, not many details coming out. I did cover the first shooting and the officers, Seattle's Officers Guild's re- uh, response to that. I responded to his response uh, alongside Fox and Friends, so you can imagine how that went. But so far, like there is absolutely no information whatsoever about how these investigations are going. So that's a, that's a bit stressful. Um, I don't really see any new developments based on the first shooting. Um, one hour ago, CNN reports that 17-year-old shot in S- Seattle protest zone. That was a hour ago. But what I'm going to do is just go off of the Guardians and then probably Seattle Times just to it's you know liberal bias but you know mostly to steer away from any hysterical anarchy that the right may want to push like right here the wall street journal uh seattle's anarchy sets many bad precedents i don't need to read this article to know that it's filled with mischaracterizations and redefinitions it already has a redefinition of anarchy so i can't assume that uh that they're really on point with their reporting here. And plus, Wall Street Journal has been covering this from a more uh, right-wing perspective. So I, I already know that's not worth much of the read. Uh, police, and this is The Guardian, written by... Who gets the credit? Who gets the credit? Associated Press in Seattle. So this is one of those articles that are written by a handful of people. So that's hot. Uh, Police in Seattle said one person was wounded in a second shooting in the city's protest zone in less than 48 hours. The shooting happened late on Sunday night in the area near Seattle's downtown area known as Chaz for Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone and involved a 17-year-old who later declined to speak with detectives. Interesting. Police tweeted that one person was at a hospital with a gunshot wound. The person arrived in a private vehicle and was in serious condition. Harborview Medical Center spokesperson Susan Gregg said in a statement, A pre-dawn shooting on Saturday had left a 19-year-old man dead and a 33-year-old man critically injured. Both victims, whose identities had not yet been released, were transported to the same hospital via private car. The suspect or suspects in that first shooting fled the scene, and no arrests had been made as of Sunday. Detective Mark Jamieson said. According to a police blog, officers responding to the shooting said they were met by a crowd that prevented officers safe access to the victims. 
uh, a quick addendum here from me. It seems like this is a, an, a reoccurring uh, quote that is just going everywhere that the police put in their report. That crowd, a violent crowd, met by a violent crowd, prevented officers' safe access to the victims. Um, not really sure how true this is or isn't. I just know that it's um, a convenient piece. I also know that it's been spread uh, numerously. And the only accounts that we have is the police, uh, police's account on the situation. I'm not getting too much reporting from anybody on the ground there. So a lot of this has to do with speculation. The only reason why I talk about it is because it is important to keep up with the narrative that mainstream media uh, releases about it. I wish I had a <laughs> better source to get what exactly is going on there. But so far, all we have is uh, mainstream media, which are not too interested in highlighting voices on the ground too much. So uh, we'll just continue on with the Guardians here. Video released by police appeared to show officers arriving at the protest zone saying they wanted to get to the victim and entering as people yelled that the victim was already gone. Police mostly retreated from the zone after clashes with protesters. KIRO TV reported. Another addendum here for me is that it's fascinating that um, they were met by a violent crowd that prevented officers safe access to the victims. And it seems like the crowd wanted to maintain their occupied zone and their autonomous zone by not allowing officers into the zone and telling them that the protesters or that the victims and the wounded had already gone to the hospital, which may or may not have been true. But I would assume since the cops got there and they were already on the way transit, I do believe that they were already there and were on their way. And the protesters wanted to hold on to the autonomy that they had retained in front of the East Precinct. But this was more in the park area, so they uh, it wasn't in front of the precinct itself. But of course, it's still within the autonomous zone, occupation zone, um, occupational zone. So, of course, they want to keep cops at bay because otherwise you start making certain concessions. Then, you know, you're going to have your... Uh, <laughs> your movement chipped away and we can argue the ethics of whether or not that's a good idea but people were taken to the hospital regardless of police efforts um, so far police efforts haven't really even shown uh, any progress in the investigation either so Chaz is a several block area cor cor cordoned off by protesters near a police station in the city's Capitol Hill neighborhood, which evolved after weeks of protests in the city over police brutality and racism sparked by the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. This we know. Uh, Donald Trump, a Republican, has criticized Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin and Washington Governor Jay Inslee, both Democrats, for allowing the zone. It wasn't immediately clear where within the zone Sunday night's shooting took place. The Seattle Fire Department arrived at the scene at 10.46 p.m. and and went to a staging area near the zone's perimeter. Fire Department spokesperson David Cuerpo told the Seattle Times. The fire department was soon notified that the injured person has already been taken away. Volunteer medics inside the zone brought the victim to the hospital rather than waiting for the police and fire departments. Because, and this is me speaking, that's what autonomy means. So, in a way... In a way, because, you know, of course, we still need the hospital's help because they have the most equipment to effectively treat a gunshot wound without further infection or festering. Um, but um, we don't really need police to take people to 
Uh, hospitals, fire departments, sure. Uh, private ambulances, that's another discussion we need to have. But back to the article. To ensure the safety of medical personnel, police staged with Seattle Fire at the edge of the CHOP area and were gathering information about where the shooting victim was located when they learned he had been transported in a private vehicle to Harborview Medical Center, police said in a blog post Monday. The 17-year-old was treated and released. The department said investigators asked anyone with information about the shooting to come forward. Further details about what transpired Sunday night weren't immediately available. It wasn't clear whether anyone was in custody. So what is fascinating is that I am sure that there has been plenty of witness accounts, and yet we have zero information about what happened uh, Saturday, pre-dawn shooting on Saturday. So even though we have probably witness accounts and people that were in the area and also handled this situation with the 19-year-old who happened to pass, rest in power, and the 33-year-old who went into critical injury, there has to be some uh, witness accounts written down and there could be some information that they could give to the public but this is a developing matter that distresses me a bit because of the lack of information that is coming out and um, we all know that there are plenty of um, plausible threats out there hoping to tear down Chaz so um, I really hope everyone the best in safety and prayers thoughts love vibrations Um, you know I really hope that the um, the people there that are protecting shop uh, don't get confused with the people who seem to be attacking and i hope that uh, the people defending shop have an opportunity to also apprehend these uh <laughs> i don't know heartless ghouls who seem to be shooting 17 and 19 year olds so um that's a bit of information that i can get up here and it seems like most of that is taking up the amount of space that we could use talking about uh, what's going on with the zone and movement itself but they are being plagued by two shootings over the weekend it's very sad it's very sad Um, to want change is uh, somehow a death wish now so um, I guess that's never really been anything new but um, you know more on Seattle I've, I've tried keeping up with it as much as I can um, they've had borders moves and two shootings so far. Um, as far as the actual abolition movement going on of the police at, in there, no new news. Um, any regards to policy changes, uh, discussions with the mayor, with the governor, uh, with council city members, none of that seems to be talked about openly. The only thing we're covering right now is another shooting, two shootings. So... I think it's important to follow, oop, this is unfortunate here. It's important to follow Minneapolis just as much. So, (sighs) CBS Minnesota reports, Marielle Mose reports, tragic and senseless, young father dead, 11 injured in uptown shooting following night of gun violence in metro area. I guess this was overnight last night. 
Minneapolis police are investigating after a shooting in the uptown area left one person dead and 11 in others injured early Sunday morning. One of several reported shootings in the city in just a matter of hours. The shooting broke out shortly after midnight in the city's trendy uptown neighborhood, a nightlife hub with bars, restaurants, and retail, including Apple and Jal Raven stores. Community activist KG Wilson live-streamed the aftermath on Facebook, showing crowds of people and police responding to the injured. I don't know if they are breathing or not right now, Wilson said in the video. Police first said 10 people had been shot with, quote, various severity levels of injury, unquote, but revised that their total to 12 in a tweet posted just after 3 a.m. One of the victims, Cody Pollard, later died in the hospital. WCCO spoke with his sister, LaToya Pollard, who said he was a father of two and worked as a barber. She says their family is broken and is asking for prayers. None of the other 11 who were shot, who are all adults, have injuries considered life-threatening. Police said uh, they have a lot of leads, but no arrests so far. They believe there was more than one shooter, described only as individuals on foot. At a press uh, conference Sunday morning, Minneapolis Police Chief Medaria Arendando called the shooting tragic and senseless. Quote, We have seen, unfortunately, over the past several months, an uptick in violent crime in Minneapolis, Arendando said. Quote, We are certainly doing our best to address that. Unquote. Arredondo says the amount of violence is a public health crisis and it will take more than just police to address it. Quote, we, we're going to need all stakeholders to step up and be a part of the discussions for solutions, he said. Arredondo says despite the senseless, senselessness of the shooting, humanity was observed at the scene. Quote, we saw officers and community members rushing in to aid victims to assist EMS personnel, Arredondo said. Quote, we saw humanity last night and that truly inspires me. And it says that hope in the city and will remain in this city. Oh. And it says that hope is in this city and will remain in this city, and we have to build on that, unquote. Mayor Jacob Frey released this statement late Sunday afternoon. Violence and lawlessness serve no one. The recent string of shootings across our city is only compounding our shared grief. It cannot and will not be tolerated. Chief Arredondo is reaching out to local, state, and federal partners for aid, and MPD detectives are working to identify those responsible. Chief Arredondo has my full support. Fred Huang, a manager at Hoban Korean Barbecue, said he was working the front door when he heard shots from the sidewalk a couple of storefronts down. Huang described hearing a lot of shots and said it appeared to be groups of people shooting at each other. Quote, it was definitely more than two people involved. It was definitely like a gunfight, a gun shootout, Huang said. We found bullet shells from three different guns. Across the street from where the shooting began in a storefront shared by the Uptown Theater and a John Fluvog shoe store, a police officer later Sunday surveyed a shattered window and, a, and door and a bullet hole could be seen in the storefront. The uptown area is about three miles west of the Minneapolis commercial area and neighborhood hit by rioting in the wake of George Floyd's May 25th death after being arrested by Minneapolis police. Some of the violence from that period reached as far as uptown, and many storefronts are still protected by plywood. Jamie Leesman is the manager of John Fluvog Shoes. She and her employees spent Sunday morning cleaning up the mess. 
quote. There's bullet holes in my store, and this window is broken, Lee Spin said. It's super frustrating. We got these windows replaced after the riots, unquote. Those who work in the area say there's been a rise in late-night violence. Quote, this has nothing to do with George Floyd or the protests. This has to do with violence and guns in Uptown that's been ignored for years, Leastman said. Unquote. Leastman wants to see more protection for her store and the others in the popular district. Addendum. If you haven't listened to Behind the Police, please do, because I understand that there is... A bit of chaos, especially when you have certain groups wanting to actually kill people um, because of the lack of police right now. Uh, I'm not pointing fingers at the Boogaloo or the Three Percenters or Patriot Prayer or Bikers for Trump or um, really a myriad of possible right-wing militia groups, Proud Boys. But the fact that Leastman here, the owner of a shoe store, is saying that she wants more protection for her store. And the other stores that are in the business district just reaches back to the, to, the, to the origins of police, which is the protection of property, whether it be slaves or uh, objects, objects, property, thing properties. So I understand Leesman not wanting to have to uh, defend her own store or uh, necessarily see a new force that can then protect the neighborhood with invested interest because they live in the neighborhood it is their neighborhood um, something better than the police which has been founded on um, actual racism and classism if we could just avert that and create a new force that has the the reason why that force is created is to be the opposite of systemic racism and uh, 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 justice and inequality and uh you know just forget the property rights it's it's to really be the opposite side of what the police force is today so if we can start out with those foundations of being uh uh racial justice and uh protection of the community rather than protection of property and systemic racism having that flip-flop there will build a better police for the future or what i would like to call an actual communal watch the quote continues, or the article continues, Floyd's death has sparked a move to overhaul the Minneapolis Police Department with a majority of city council members pledging support for dismantling a department that many community activists have called brutal and racist. That's prompted pushback from opponents who question how residents will be protected from violent crime. Even the most aggressive proponents for change have acknowledged it's many months away, and they're not sure what it would look like so this is me adding to the article again i know it may be frustrating because the increase of violence is is almost tactful in the way of timing here because the the, the police were voted by the council member to be dismantled in Minneapolis. Seattle has seen a lack of police presence in the Chaz zone for a while now. So it almost seems convenient that this amount of chaos, un unnamed, completely anonymous, yet with what seems to be um, a lot of bullets, <sighs> this kind of chaos seems very convenient for us to just go back to the police forces as we know them but that's dangerous because that's like it's 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 
I may make a false equivalency here, but it's like getting beat by your boyfriend, leaving him for like a couple of weeks and finding out that there's a lot more domestic abusers out there. So you just return to the one that you know. You know, so I don't I don't think it's a healthy way to go back to the police. I don't think it's a good way. It's a good idea to go back to the police because there's so much chaos. What is more important is for the for the for the community to come together and really hold its ground, whether it's against the police or these un uh, these completely anonymous aggressors that we seem to be finding both in Minneapolis and Seattle. And so far, I didn't I haven't even heard of Minneapolis so much. So I'm just wondering how much of these other shootings are going unreported. How many hangings have there been since uh the first one with Fuller in Palmdale? How many how many how many since then? And now we have shootings. I'm not pointing fingers at any specific group or ideology or whatever, but we know that there are active, hateful cells that want to see both of these movements crushed beneath chaos and death, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that so much brutality just keeps on stacking on the fact that people want to get rid of it. So as as you and the more it's like the more you try to remove brutality, the more brutality brutalizes you. And I know how redundant and repetitive that all sounds, but it really is like that when you have history and you keep repeating. The effects just stack on each other. They just stack. It's not healthy. So I, of course we don't know what the future is going to look like with the police force that we want to create in the name of racial justice and uh, 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 lawful equality. I don't know what to call it, but the fact that everybody should be <laughs> uh, underneath the same law, um, we're not sure how it's going to look like and what it, how it's necessarily going to operate. But that's the part of history making that we have to all take a piece of right now is uh, and participate within and kind of jump into that unknown so we can figure out what is actually a better outcome for the future because fucking around with the same shit that we've been doing is just going to bring us back here over and over and over again until what i don't know because this is la this is this situation is worse than ferguson so how are we going to get worse than this you know what what would really be worse than this and we have to consider that if we're going to continue down the same path All right. The article continues. Huang was critical of the police response time, estimating it took officers more than 30 minutes to arrive. However, police spokesman John Elder told the Associated Press that the police converged on the area within three minutes of a 12.38 a.m. call being put out by officers starting, stating that they had heard shots in the area. Quote, something needs to be done to protect us, Huang said. Quote, normally the bars on Saturday night... We all have off-duty police officers as extra security parked in front of our businesses, but no one has that right now because police are a liability for us. Unquote. Minneapolis police responded to six shootings between Saturday afternoon and Sunday night, with at least seven other people injured and one dead. That's insane, the fact that there were six shootings in one night. This could be a myriad of reasons why there are shootings at all you know it could be it could be boogaloos it could be uh disgruntled citizens it could be a lot of things speculation uh, keeping speculation is much more important than thinking it's any group or specific reason because there's a lot of things creating this melting pot right now it's a pretty large recipe book 
Um, so the Minneapolis CBS four goes over a couple of the shootings here. So one of them is a woman who was shot after an argument on the 1100 block of Olson Memorial highway around 9:30 PM Saturday. And, uh, second one, a man was critically wounded in shooting near the Minneapolis Police 4th Precinct building. Incident happened shortly after 3.30 a.m. Wow. That one's... Wow. All right. That one's like right... Okay. Right near the police, huh? Uh, two men arrived at North Memorial Healthcare Hospital with non-life-threatening injuries at 3.42 a.m. Um, those two seem very close, 12 minutes within each other. Uh, one man outside of the police fourth precinct and another near North Memorial Healthcare Hospital. Uh, a 17-year-old boy was shot inside a car, then left for dead by fellow passengers on a North Minneapolis street. He was pronounced dead at North Memorial. May rest in power. The article continues. No arrests have been made in these investigations. Over the last month, several Minneapolis city council members have called to abolish and defund the police department. Council President Lisa Bender released a statement to WCCO Sunday about the violence, saying in part, quote, Ultimately, no one in our community should fear or suffer violence, and it is clear that we need to continue to invest in systems that work to keep people safe, unquote. Uh, and then here it says anyone with information, the Uptown shooting is asked to call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, T-I-P-S. Um, tips can be submitted electronically. I don't know what that means. But, um, yeah, there's a number if you want to, if you have any information and happen to live in Minneapolis. But um, it's too many It's too many shootings over a weekend, honestly. And I'm not trying to say there's some kind of conspiracy. It's just the fact that the, the cops have been gone for a certain period of time in these areas, or at least not as active. And so it's strange to me. It just feels strange. Um, that this many shootings were happening over this weekend. And also, you know, it was supposed to be a, like close to a manga weekend had the Zoomers not really ruined it for Trump. And that's a great transition here, which we all need to keep up with Seattle and Minneapolis and that we really need to pressure the city into investigating what the fuck is going on and why there's uh, enough bullets for uh, a whole uh, a, a raid in uh, Pakistan, you know. So I, I I hope we get more information as the investigations continue. But yeah, like I said, I don't see this as a good reason to necessarily just jump back into the arms of the cops. And I'm 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 not sure, but I hope that people in Minneapolis feel the same because I know that they've been suffering a lot more brutality than I have. So. I just hope they don't jump back into the arms of their former abuser in hopes that they're going to change because as I've seen so many videos, it's really hard for me to jump on the boat of uh, the police can change or that they could be reformed. And maybe in some cities and some departments, they can be to a certain extent. But for the most part, it seems like um, the only way to actually change the police is to um, really break it down and recycle the pieces into something brand new. You know, keep some of the good shit, but scrap literally everything that we, we've built upon profiling and actual systemic racism. And then we also have to put in, like, implicit bias training in for anybody who's willing to uphold the law because you can have implicit biases about literally anything. So it ranges from racism to sexism to misogyny. And unfortunately, none of this 
none of this might not mean anything because as no name said on twitter you really can't destroy racism without destroying capitalism and then you have to take into account imperialism on top of all of that so what do we really need to change <laughs> the paradigm <laughs> but that's you know that's why we have this discussion that's why we talk about these things. That's why we put them out in the zeitgeist. That's why we go out into the streets, and that's why at some point we will have the general strike that stops the engine of the world because the masses have that power until they automate it, until they automate it all, and then we have no bargaining power. The only, thing, the only bargaining power after they uh, get rid of all of our jobs would be violence, which I do not contone because I don't, I'm a humanist, man. I, I, I want all humans to be able to live, redeem, uh, thrive, prosper. But um, there's certain people that are on the other spectrum of that, and that becomes antagonistic. And then what does antagonism lead to? It's a WWE Raw show at that point, right? I don't know. I don't know. I've spent 26 years on this earth, and I'm still trying to figure it out. History tried to do it for me, but I still, still <laughs> am not certain. It can go many ways still. Uh, shout out to Mike Duncan's podcast, uh, Revolutions check that out uh if you want uh better understandings of history and historical revolutions i've been ranting and raving for so long like i am fairly certain i don't think i think you know if you live in a democracy people who live in in a democracy should uh participate in that democracy lest it not become a democracy but i think to effectively participate in a democracy and be well informed with within a democracy begins and ends with history how much history is so much more important than the actual current events because you can't understand the current most current events or a lot of current events without history really really so and that's the reason why i have a hard time understanding Minneapolis because the fact that they were actually so unanimous in their council member meeting and so quick uh, not quick but um, resolute <laughs> with their decision into dismantle the police means that they have enough experience and evidence to justify this this reasoning and so I, I stand behind that because I don't I haven't lived there I haven't spent generations there, but there are families that have, and so they have a better understanding of their community than I do. So for me to even say that they're doing something wrong is is wrong in itself. But for me to also say that they're doing something right is, I guess, just as equally wrong. I just have the bias that it fits underneath what I would want to see in in actual change in the country. So maybe my bias allows me to support them better but the, the 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 fact is is that i can't say that they're wrong and not support them because i don't know so not knowing led me to actually support them in my own logic and my own biases so if you have an anti-look on their movement and an anti-look on their dismantling, then you have to wonder what your biases are. Because if you don't live in Minneapolis, then the biases doesn't fit within you being a part of that community. And you have really no, no skin in the fight, other than it could happen to your city at some point, but then you should be focusing on your council member cities, if you're really, or your city council members, if you're really that worried about it. <sighs> I had a perfect transition earlier, but I had to go on a rant pretty hard. So 
keep up with Minneapolis, keep up with Seattle. We will check in tomorrow as I uh, have been doing since uh, I've started this. I've been trying my best to keep up with those two because they are pretty important to the uh, evolution of our democracy. As we know it, as we know it, as we know it going down, that's democracy. All right, but this is what I wanted to get into because I was going to watch the Tulsa rally while playing some Red Dead and shit on it at the same damn time, but I did not get to do either one. But gladly, I did watch some of it, and it was pretty great. I did see the crowd sizes, and they were pretty abysmal. And um, that's why we're going to read right here, Mia Jankovic? 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 Could be either one, but Mia Jankovic uh posted uh posted uploaded an article wrote an article (laughs) uh titled trump had a meltdown and yelled at aides backstage when he realized how empty his rally in tulsa was reports say this comes from business insider india there was one from business insider but that one got taken down so i had to go to business insider india which it's in english so Let's read it real quick. I'm sure it's short, but I I just want to get them sweet, juicy quotes. I'm sure you've been hearing it enough if you watch CNN or MSNBC or really any news outlet, but fuck it, I want some. I want a piece of that. Uh, President Donald Trump yelled at AIDS backstage at the BOK Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, when he realized how low the turnout was for his rally there on Saturday. The New York Times reported on Sunday. About 6,200 people showed up to the 19,000-seat venue despite the Trump campaign's confident assertions that nearly 1 million people had expressed interest in the event. That's funny. Trump himself asserted confidence that there was nearly 1 million people there, so it's funny that they even said Trump campaign's confident assertions. They could have just said Trump's. Um, A person familiar with the discussions told NBC News that the president was already frustrated that news coverage of the rally had been dominated by the revelation that six members of his campaign team tested positive for the coronavirus. Already frustrated because six people near him tested positive for the Rones disease. (sighs) Well, maybe you should up your testing, bro. Back to the article. He was warned on Air Force One about the disappointing audience numbers, but boiled over when he saw for himself how empty the venue looked. That's awesome. It took him so long to actually figure out those reservations were fake. That's pretty great. Uh, The Times reported citing four people familiar with what happened. The four people told the paper that the president yelled at AIDS when he saw the sparsely filled seats from backstage. NBC News reported that multiple people close to the White House described Trump as, quote, furious. Advisors told the Times that Trump's mood rallied as he gave the two-hour address on stage, but that he appeared deflated afterward. And I'm pretty sure we all saw the video from the Hill when he got off the plane. There's even a picture going around where there's like a little smudge of his orange paint on on his shirt. I've actually never seen his face paint like come off, and that was the first time. So he really, I feel like he really was shocked by the fact that he got punked on this one. But they're not going to fall for the same uh, rabbit hole twice. So, you know, the Zoomers are going to have to come up with something again, something fresh. Uh, Citing officials with knowledge of the events, the Washington Post reported that Trump fumed on Air Force One on his way back to the White House and through the West 
uh, the rest of the weekend. And that's why he did not uh, tweet on Sunday. It was noticeably quiet. Widely shared video footage showed the president arriving at the White House with a dejected expression, his red tie undone, and a Make America Great Again cap in his hand. Yep. 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 That's the video. Numerous reasons have been given for the low turnout. Expectations may have been inflated by TikTok users and K-pop fans who registered for the event in large numbers with no intention of attending. Because they're the best kind of trolls. There were few reports of protests. The Post said that at one point, a group of protesters blocked an entrance to the venue for about 15 minutes, though most people had already entered. Uh, and this is me again. I ended up getting in kind of a discussion with somebody on Twitter. Well, not a discussion. I just kind of posted on there because he was kind of mad that the whole TikTok K-pop thing detracted from the story that there weren't too many protesters there, which, you know, in my own personal opinion, I think it was a good idea to actually do it this way. The fact that they thought there was going to be so many people there that other people didn't go, like his own supporters didn't go because they didn't think they would be able to get in. And then also, it protected people that are anti-Trump because they didn't go there and end up fighting anybody that were that that are pro-Trump. So, like, honestly, this whole thing was like a win-win for me. Like, the fact that TikTok K-pop Zoomers dunked on the president and then also, like, a bunch of leftists didn't have to yell or fight the pro-Trump people, win-win to me. And then the man went home tired and deflated. Like... It's a very negative and cynical statement right here, but I would have put it past Trump to have expected violence to happen between Friday and Saturday. The way, the way that he eliminated the curfews and allowed protesters to stay overnight. And then the fact that he probably thought there would be more counter-protesters to his rally. I think he really wanted people to just duke it out, out front. I wouldn't put it past him. But the fact that neither of those things happen is fucking awesome. <laughs> Snaps for the left. You know, they, they, you know what the thing is, too, is that the TikTokers and the K-Pops not, might not even be that leftist. They just might be Antifa, which, a.k.a. anti-fascist. So that, that's great. That's, that's just great. Um, <laughs> the article continues, Brad Parscale. The Trump campaign manager released a statement blasting, quote, leftists and online trolls, unquote, and saying that, quote, phony ticket requests never factor into our thinking. So, unquote. So it's pretty funny that they're like those goddamn leftists and online trolls. And then at the same time, they didn't get to us. Y'all thought there was over a million people. And yet you think phony ticket requests never factor into your thinking. You thought there was going to be over 60,000 people there. You set up for it. And you failed. And you failed. He instead blamed the low turnout on, quote, a week's worth of the fake news media warning people away from the rally because of COVID and protesters, unquote. Ah, see, in the, the protesters thing right there at the end, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of... Trump's people have a hard time showing up for pro, uh, showing up against protesters. I mean, and it's been multiple times where they've set up like a a march, like the right wing has set up a march, and then the numbers of 
uh, anti-fascist protests end up uh, completely eclipsing their numbers, so then they go home. That's happened before. Um, I just didn't think that they wouldn't show up because they were afraid of that happening again. So that's also pretty fucking funny to me. Uh, and it's weird that fake news media warning people away from the rally because of COVID would be an issue when um, above the fifth column brought up a great point that even even with the numbers that Trump had at the rally, they still did not attempt to do social distancing. So is Trump denying the existence of COVID or does he not think it's that big of a threat? Obviously, he wants to slow down testing. He said that in the rally. But he, like Bo said, he's willing to put people at risk for a photo op and for a campaign and for a boost in numbers. And so that's why I'm glad he fell even harder on his face than I ever anticipated. So, yeah, I can't tell if the uh, if the campaign is actively ignoring uh, COVID as an issue so that it can forget mail-in voting, reduce testing, a lot of things that Trump would want to do that is actually harmful to the public. So like Bo said, and I will say it again, go watch the video by Bo of the fifth column, Trump is is emphatically, emphatically, a terrible leader. Incompetent to the fucking T. Incompetent with a capital T at the end, bro. Incompetent. All right. Uh, campaign advisors have since emphasized the event's online reach, according to The Hill. Tim Murtau, the communications director of the campaign, said the rally attracted more than 4 million viewers. 4 million viewers. 4 million viewers. Um, I was one of them for about 15 minutes. So that, uh, you know, if you think that maybe there's a bunch of people there watching it that don't actually support Trump, uh, that number is pretty meaningless, even if it's just 1 million you know, even if it's 2 million, uh, if it's 3 million, they're just hoping to dunk on Trump, uh, online numbers really aren't important, (laughs) um, he's really just trying to save face, um, and pretend that they didn't just scrape their knee all across Oklahoma, so it looks like it burns, and I'm, well, I gotta say I'm a little happy about it, so, Trump got mad. That's pretty great. If the K-pop and the TikTok can keep it up, I'm sure they will change this country in no time. Shouts out to them. Thank you, Business Insider and Mio Jankovic. All right. So moving on. Now, you know, we'll save this one for last. Right here. Let's get back to little Mr. Trump here. Because he said slow testing down. And I just thought this was a little interesting article that also kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. This is from salon.com. And it says, by Jake Johnson, Senators fine $14 billion in unspent COVID-19 funds after Trump admits to ordering testing slowdown. He already slowed them down. Uh, Trump on Saturday said he told officials to slow the testing down in response to a recent surge in COVID-19 cases. And this is me speaking here, not the not the uh, not the article, but it's fascinating that um, oh the original it originally appeared on Common Dreams. So I'm gonna go to Common Dreams. That is the one that I had originally found. Um, 
it is fascinating that Trump says the more testing you do, the more cases you have, the less testing you do, the less cases you have. And I think that should be uh, sound enough logic for people to figure out that if we don't do tests, if we did zero tests, there would be zero cases up until it's too late, until they are already showing damn near fatal symptoms. That's when they'll get... I mean, what are they going to... If So if we do zero testing, like even if they come in and they show signs, we do zero testing, then we're going to get zero cases. But if we do it only when they show up with signs and symptoms, we're going to have a lot more people dying at home. Yeah, that would happen. That would happen. And of course, our case numbers would go down then because you're only testing people who are admitted to the hospital. But it's not accurate. And it's also, um, let's see, what, what what's the word I'm looking here? Um, dishonest with your people, who you claim to be president of. So, uh, yeah, let's 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 dive in here as we continue on Trump's massive incompetence of actually being a leader for the public. But it, you know, maybe for the rich class, he's doing fantastic. Who knows? Following President Donald Trump's admission during a campaign rally in Oklahoma over the weekend that he ordered administration officials to, quote, slow the testing down, unquote, in response to the recent surge in COVID-19 cases. Two leading Democratic senators on Sunday slammed the Health and Human Services Department for failing to spend $14 billion in funds Congress approved in April to expand coronavirus testing and tracing. Nice. Quote, while it has been months since these funds were first appropriated, the administration has failed to disperse significant amounts of this funding, leaving communities without the resources they need to address the significant challenges presented by the virus. Senator Matty, uh, <clears throat> Patty Murray, uh, Democratic Washington, and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, Democrat from New York. They wrote in a letter to HHS Secretary Alex Azar on Sunday. Quote, the United States is at a critical juncture in its fight against COVID-19, and now is the time for an aggressive and fast response, wrote Murray and Schumer. Quote, this administration will put our country at grave risk if it tries to declare an early victory, leave life-saving work undone, and leave resources our communities desperately need sitting untouched, unquote. The senator's letter notes that the Trump administration has yet to spend more than $8 billion of the $25 billion Congress appropriated for coronavirus testing in April. The administration has also failed to spend $4 billion in funds for COVID-19 contact tracing and nearly $2 billion to provide free testing for the uninsured, according to Murray and Schumer, unquote. So this is me. Um, and speaking. And um, it appears that either... Trump doesn't want the testing numbers to affect his chances at, in November. Um, and contact tracing. But the contact tracing things, you know, failing to spend $4, million, $4 billion on contact tracing seems a bit like it's you're not that concerned about public health. You know, if you're not willing to actually do contact tracing for people who contract COVID-19, then you don't really care about tracing the virus itself, and thus it has a lot more free reign to spread. 
that to me is a bit of a class warfare antagonism. So it hurts. It hurts inside. <laughs> uh, quote, we call on you to immediately disperse the remainder of the $25 billion in funds to ramp up testing. Oh, my God. Hold up. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So it's four, two, six, eight. Okay. Yeah, it's 14. It's 14. Uh, ramp up testing and contact tracing capacity, the senators wrote, as well as to make sure providers are aware of and able to easily access the $2 billion that Congress appropriated to provide testing for the uninsured, unquote. I think that's also very important because people should not die just because they cannot afford to live. Just saying. The letter was sent a day after Trump during his first campaign rally since the COVID-19 pandemic shuttered much of the U.S. in March, declared that he ordered a slowdown in coronavirus testing in the face of rising cases across the U.S. More than two dozen states on Sunday reported that their seven-day average of new coronavirus cases increased last week. Oh, man. So, uh, and it's important to note that um, we are seeing up you know surges in areas that have done uh irresponsible reopenings and also the fact that um what was it six campaign staffs and two i feel like i think it was four campaign staff and two secret service tested positive um do we know anybody that was in the rally tested positive not yet but we have about two weeks of incubation i don't know at what point it's actually verifiable through the blood but we have two weeks before these people actually start showing symptoms so uh right back to the article quote you know testing is double-edged is a double-edged sword trump said at the event in tulsa claiming the u.s has tested 25 million people quote when you do testing to that extent you're going to find more people you're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please, unquote. Now, when you look at this argument, and this is me again, but when you look at this argument, and he says, when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people. So when you have more testing, you're going to find more people with positives. But you also may find more people with negatives, because if you don't do testing, you're not going to find anything, right? Moving into his next point, you're going to find more cases. That's the same point as the first one. And so his conclusion was to slow the testing down because they kept finding more cases. His conclusion to the argument that the more tests there are, the more people there are. That's his argument. But the conclusion is that he needs to slow down the testing because there's too many cases? Like, you have to add a conclusion onto that conclusion because your conclusion does not make sense. And in order to effectively do contact tracing is you have to test people for corona and then trace the contacting. So him slowing the testing down is taking the side of the virus and opposition of public health. Because if you're not willing to ramp up testing, when we've already discussed that it's um, been abysmal you know uh it's been lacking 
The fact that he wants to slow it down even more is going to be devastating to public health. I cannot sit by it. I do not support it. It is gross. It is disgusting. And in fact, it is one of the most eco-fascist things I could ever, ever believe happen and that everybody cheer about at at Tulsa. I I can't believe people went to that rally and cheered that he wants to test them less. Everybody that went there cheered that they would get tested less after they left, after they spent in the most high-risk zone that they could. And it may be because they don't actually believe in the virus or they don't believe in the, in the high risk of it. They think, ah, oh, hosh posh, that's a bunch of malarkey. It's unfortunate, and I am still hoping the best for these people, even though they uh, support a, a, a racist, uh, <laughs> proto-fascist. <laughs> um, the article continues. The comment, which two White House officials insisted was a joke. (laughs) It's a joke, I swear. (laughs) He was joking. Was met with swift backlash from lawmakers and public health experts who have repeatedly emphasized that a robust nationwide testing system is necessary to stem the spread of COVID-19 and reopen the economy safely. Quote, since the start of the coronavirus crisis in our country the president has ignored experts denied facts and put his self-interest ahead of americans lives and here he is saying so that was a tweet from senator patty murray quote looking at it as a scoreboard is the wrong way to think about it amish uh, adalja an infectious disease expert at the john hopkins center for health security told the washington post quote To think of it as something you can manipulate or slow down based on what the numbers look like speaks to a complete misunderstanding of what an infectious disease response should be, unquote. Um, This is me speaking, not the article, but is it then important to wonder whether or not a person who does not fundamentally understand the basics of epidemiology be president or somebody who's not willing to understand the basics from somebody who's an expert? on infectious diseases so this is a lot to consider because a president is really only as good as his advisors but if the president doesn't listen to his advisors is he any good representative ilhan omar uh and i pause again pause again just because i have to add the fact that no person ever would be able to be an expert in infectious diseases and motor and voter mail fraud at the same damn time. I don't see it. I don't see that being a possibility. You have to be one serious political renaissance man to be able to understand every issue down to its essence, which I doubt Trump, who has not read the Bible, who can't quote the Bible, understands law. He can't quote... He, the only... Thing he quotes from the, the the Constitution I've heard is Article 21, and that's because it benefits him because that's what gives him so much executive order power. So, back to the article because we need to for, forget for a second that he's an incompetent dunce, uh, a neg- negligible opportunist. Let's let's move on. Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota whose father died last week of complications from the coronavirus, condemned Trump's remarks in a tweet on Sunday. Quote, This man is reprehensible. 
My father and so many Americans lost their lives. And this is what he has to say, said Omar. I pray for our country to find a way to recover from the destruction of his presidency and heal all wounds. This presidency is without a shred of humanity and dignity, unquote. And I, if you cannot tell from earlier, I completely agree with uh, Ilhan Omar on that. So uh, he is the worst to be handling the many issues that this country faces and the world faces. So um, hopefully he loses pretty swiftly in November, but we all know that it's only going to get uglier as we go. So, last but not least, oof, this is a long one. Yep, I don't think I'm actually going to be able to read this one. It's so long, this would have to be a whole separate thing. But I'll just give the information out there. The star here seems to be focused on Canada. Uh, by Marco Chown Ovid, staff reporter. And the article is going into... Maybe I should just do it tomorrow, but you know, there's always more news to catch up on. Uh, the article goes into the chat on Twitch if you want to check it out. So it'll be there. I'll read it out loud. It's at thestar.com. Uh, highly recommended read. I can't with the amount of time I've got left here. So uh, I'm just going to give you a little once over as to why you should check this out and why it's important. So the star, Marco Chan Chown Ovid, staff reporter, reports, journalists phone hacked by new invisible technique. All he had to do was visit one website, any website. And in summary, the what you need to do is invest in a VPN. It may be one of the best ways to actually uh, keep your... Uh, phone traffic safe mainly because it sends your information in through an IP address that is tracked to another area um, it, it sends your IP address to another IP address that you use to browse the internet uh, effectively making this right here this step right here a stingray in van I guess uh, a van parked in proximity it makes it a lot harder for them to intercept your data going to the cell tower um, apparently this journalist was hacked uh, or allegedly was hacked by the Moroccan authorities um, so uh, the man here who was spied on let's see here if I can get his full name Scrolling up, scrolling up, scrolling up. Why did I phone? Omar Radi, R-A-D-I. Uh, Radi is an investigative journalist who co-founded the local news site Le Desk, a partner with the Star and the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. He specializes in the connections between politicians and business people, as well as social movements and human rights. In other words, he's a thorn in the government side and a prime target, a prime target for surveillance, hacking, and harassment. In 2017, he was arrested while reporting on a security crackdown in the Rift region, and again this past December, after one of his tweets described a local judge as an executioner. So, Omar Radi seems to be 
plagued by hacking. So he uh, was originally arrested, held in for contempt. And it continues on here saying shortly after his release, he was approached by Amnesty International, which asked to look at his phone. The spyware they found, commonly known as Pegasus, can be traced back to the Israeli cyber surveillance company NSO Group. So these are the important things that I wanted to get out there before people do their own research and look further into this. Right here. NSO Group, which was valued at $1 billion U.S. dollars last year, sells surveillance software to governments and law enforcement agencies intended to combat terrorism. Over the last several years, however, reports from around the world have impl implicated NSO Group's spyware in the targeting of journalists. Oh. And human rights activists. Yo, so I can't tell, but it looks like it looks like my stream actually went down on Twitch, but the recording is still here. So that's fascinating. If you're on the podcast, uh, my Twitch stream just got reset. Fascinating. Completely fascinating. I don't know what the fuck just happened there, but my uh my my stream got reset and i'm just talking about uh, an israeli cyber surveillance company i don't think any of these things are really that quite related i just think it's uh, significant to notice so maybe i had a lost connection and it just restarted it but um i have nord vpn on most of my shit uh i am not actually like plugging them for money i'm just saying you should go invest in a vpn because of the fact that um, there can be issues that arise from these kinds of situations, such as uh, <laughs> a, a spike van sitting in, within proximity, a stingray van, my bad, sitting within proximity trying to obtain your, uh, intercept your data going to the cell tower, your IP going to the cell tower where they can then latch onto and extract information from your phone. Because we all keep most of our information on our phone. So I'm going to read. Let's see here. So now that we know NSO has a lot to do with the Pegasus, uh, I guess, so uh, software in itself. I think that's important. Um, so I, I also think it's pretty fascinating that that um, we can have companies probably exist within the United States and us be like, that's unethical, that should not be pursued, that technology there. Um, but that we don't have the same laws in other nations, and those nations' companies then create a software spy, spyware surveillance hacking software that can then be used against citizens. It's interesting that they can then contract that from outside nations. I think it would be important for all of us to know uh, what kind of software uh, police departments are using. But again, they don't want the they don't want the enemies to know that, and that includes uh, criminals and non-criminals alike. Because even if you're a non-criminal, you're still a potential criminal in the eyes of the justice system. You're potential. You're 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 a likelihood. That's all you are. And so that's why it's important to use this in all cases and always have it in your back pocket, even though you don't necessarily need to be hunting down a terrorist group. Like, 
I don't know how we do it if it has to be almost like a red button kind of nuke situation where you can it's only like okay but you can only pull it out if you have the three keys you can only use the 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 spyware or pegasus if you have the three keys and you can justify it by a warrant but as we know with the advancement of the patriot act the warrant is becoming meaningless and the fact that they can also look into uh web history without a warrant making it even more meaningless to have any digital rights at all right now because we have not i don't know why it's it would be meaningless to have any because it's meaning the only reason why it's meaningless is because we don't have any right now and that's something we also need to build upon because if we can find uh traces of pegasus and we can then take it to the nsl group out in israel and say who did you license this out to there shouldn't be any customer confidentiality with that kind of thing because you have massive powers manipulating lives um that's treachery and i'm i do not dig it it's not clean it's not good um it's not healthy and i'm all i'm all about public health even if that means public state health relations but um that's not always going to coincide and agree with each other but um i think that's about all i can do for today i'm getting sweaty and mean and tired and there's always more news but um it's important here that we follow also what's going on in the technological sphere because not only is technology um, great for getting your groceries and DoorDash, but it's also fantastic for actual activist work and journalistic work and keeping the world running. Pretty soon we can all do it from a smartphone. So it would be great if we can then uh, be aware of the kind of software and uh, technolo technological advancements that states and companies are using upon citizens who don't have the funding or the means to access these themselves. So, but uh, yeah, um, unfortunately my stream had to twit like freak out and so I won't be able to upload this uh, properly or export this properly into YouTube, it's gonna be a pain in the ass. So that's, whew, that's great. That's great, I appreciate all of that. I really do. Like, it's just gonna make it so much harder. I don't, I don't even know why it restarted, it just did. It just did, and so here we are. Um, yeah, so, um, other than that, I'm gonna leave you with a little speech here. I'm gonna, if you're in the YouTube, you can follow this here. Or if you're in the Twitch stream or on the YouTube, you can see what I'm typing in. For the podcast, I kind of want to keep it as a little secret surprise. A little secret surprise. Oh, there it is. All right. Um, this video is from Labor Video on YouTube. And I hand the floor over now. <laughs> Hey, follow me on Twitter at Class Observer. Uh, PoorDumbRebellion.net is where I would post articles. Uh, Twitch.tv slash The Working Class Observer. And on YouTube, The Working Class Observer. Uh, do all that. Share, like, subscribe, dislike, review, comment. Uh, do all that shit, Shaz. And uh, stay revolutionary, bud. Thank you all for coming out tonight, today. You know, we're in a momentous point in history right now.
been taught to kind of look up to the civil rights movement, for instance. That at a tight March on Washington, 200,000 people. We had these past two weeks, millions of people in the streets all over the country. In every single city in the world, in the, in the United States, in little towns, you had towns with 10,000 people where 2,000 people are coming out, right? And right now we're at a point where people are like, okay, how the fuck do we do this? Right? What's the next step? And a lot of that question is a question of power. What is power? How does it work? What is our power? Right? And that's what today is answering. Because our power comes from the fact that we create the wealth, wealth is power, we have the ability to withhold that power. We have the ability to withhold our labor and shut shit down. Right? We don't, we don't wanna just ask for things to get better. We wanna say, it's gonna get better or else. Imagine if this wasn't just a one-day West Coast shutdown. Imagine if it was like we're shutting down all the West Coast ports until you do one, two, and three. They would be losing billions of dollars. Way more money than they would lose from whatever we could do in the street. So that's the question, what is the strategy? This is laying out the strategy. Let me tell you how scared they are of this. I don't know if y'all know, but today, Tesla workers said, you know what, we're gonna strike today too. We're striking today in, in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement and with the shutdown of the West Coast ports. It went out on Twitter. Three minutes later, Elon Musk says, it's a holiday, you don't have to come, it's all good. So, they're scared of this tactic. What we need to do is wherever you work, wherever you are during the day, that's where you need to be organizing, because we need to be able to shut this down. We need to show them that we ain't asking, we're telling, and that 